Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. What is going on, folks? Welcome in to day two of the 2022 U.S. Open. We are coming to you live from the Country Club here in Brookline, Massachusetts. There is activity on the golf course already this morning. Some of those who have already teed off include uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, Seamus Powers. They went off the first at 7.07 a.m. At 7.07 off the 10th, Mark Leishman, Cameron Smith, amongst those who teed off at 7.29 off the first, Billy Horschel and his group went off at 7.00. 29 off the 10th. Uh, Justin Rose and his group teed off at 7.40 a.m. Off, off number one. It was a foursome that included Francesco Molinari, uh, Tommy Fleetwood, and Thor Bjorn Olison at 7.51 a.m. Off the first, uh, Louis Ustazen and Brandon Grace teed off in their group. Patrick Reed at 8.02 off the 10th went off with his. Uh, at 8.24 a.m., uh, it will be Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns amongst those teeing off on number one if you're coming out to the golf course. Uh, on number one at 8.57, Colin Morikawa, Bryson DeChambeau will be playing together. That will be a foursome that will tee off at that time. At 12.30 p.m. off number one, Kevin Na, Phil Mickelson, and John Rahm will take to the golf course. Just behind them, or just the same time, actually, I stand corrected, off number 10 will be Dustin Johnson and Harold Varner the third. Tony Finau and his group at 12.41 off the 10th. Off the 10th at 12.52, Shane Lowry and Rory McIlroy will be playing together today at 103 off the first. Uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and alternate for the U.S. Open, Ricky Fowler, will be teeing off. At 114 off the first, uh, it will be Riley, Zalatoris, Horsfield, and Munoz at 1.25 p.m. off number one. Obviously, all these times are Eastern time as we're outside of Boston. Max Homa and Taylor Gooch will be taking to the course. Sergio Garcia will be playing in a group from 1.36 p.m. this afternoon off number 10. What's going on, folks? Pleasure to have your company. We've got a packed show for you today, including going deep on the press conference from Phil Mickelson yesterday. It was an awkward press conference. Uh, I'll let you guys be the judge beyond that. It just was very different than any Phil Mickelson press conference that I have ever seen before. Uh, We're going to start with Justin Thomas this morning and get to that in just a moment, but we have a lot to go through with you. I did have a chance to look at the golf course yesterday. Absolutely beautiful. Here's some of the photos that we looked at. It starts with the, well, this is the uh, sixth hole on the front nine that you're looking at here. Absolutely gorgeous par four, and you can see that false front there between those two bunkers. It is much steeper than it looks like. You can tell a little bit because you can see those two people walking and you can tell that the height of that false front is as high as or higher than that man that's there on the right. I got a chance to look at 15, 16, 17, and 18. The whole golf course is set up so well. 15 is a 510-yard par 4. After the drive over some mounds, it settles into this flat area, and you can see the green is relatively flat and relatively accessible. The par 3 16th hole measures 202 yards, Look at the shot. Look at the fescue. Now, granted, this a lot of this is for visual effect, uh, but you can tell that if you're wayward at this golf course, which we'll get into in a second, then it definitely can sneak up and bite you. The 17th hole is a 373-yard par 4. 
most of the players yesterday that I was watch, watching were hitting either a tiny hybrid or an iron off the tee. Uh, it's fairly tight there on 17. Keep that in mind, and I'll show you why in just a second. And then the 18th hole will conclude at this 451-yard par 4, and you can see that massive yawning bunker in front of that green complex just sitting there waiting to gobble up your golf ball if you come up short. A number of players did come up short yesterday. Now, you may find it of interest that in that group that I did that little video on, that included Kevin Na and Bryson DeChambeau yesterday. And as Bryson, who was trailing behind the other players in the group for some reason on 18, uh, he was getting a lot of catcalls from from the, the crowd. There were a lot of people yelling to him. Uh, I heard one of them ask specifically where his headdress was, etc. Uh, he was ignoring it. He did look annoyed to me, my opinion, my observation. Uh, but it's just very interesting that with everything going on, that the crowd was hostile on a Monday at the U.S. Open to Bryson DeChambeau. We'll see how that plays itself out. Uh, Phil spoke to a uh, reaction to the crowd yesterday, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the program. I did want to talk to you about this, where I was talking about particularly 17, where it gets tight. It's not the only place. Uh, this was a video that I put together yesterday just off the right side of that 17th hole, uh, and this is pertaining to the rough that is highly unforgiving. So we're only 42 feet away from the right side of the fairway here at the par 4 17th, it's like dog leg left par 4. Oh, I want to show you what works if you're off by even a slight degree. This thick rough, your ball is going to settle right down to the bottom of it. And even if you could get the club on the ball all the way down here, the problem is all of this wants to wrap around your hosel and pull your club head to the left. So everywhere here at the Country Club this week, it will be a challenge. Yeah, it will be a challenge indeed, and that is the case all over this golf course. It's beautifully dressed for this U.S. Open, and because we're having very hot and very dry weather, uh, I think it's going to run very hard and fast as well. This is going to be, I think, a quintessential old-school U.S. Open. As to Justin Thomas, uh, he was asked in his press conference yesterday, the following uh, in sequence, what were your impressions of the golf course? What do you look for specifically when you're doing your prep for a U.S. Open? They asked, you tweeted to Rory with a smiley face regarding uh, him getting win number 21. Why was that? Uh, you and Rory have emerged as leaders on behalf of the PGA Tour for players still weighing whether to go to live golf or not. Are you making yourself available to talk? Are you surprised that Rory has taken the leadership role that he has? And do players look up to him? With so many distractions, questions regarding live. Do you think it will impact how guys will play this week? Uh, then he was asked, with everything going on with Liv, what would be your message to young players dreaming of playing on tour at some point? And then finally, what do you think about your comments about separating the person from the decision, that, the way that it was able to strike a chord? Here's Justin Thomas. Yeah, it's a great course. I, I came on Monday uh, last week, and um, it worked out well, very similar to the PGA where I was able to go kind of on the way to the to the venue for that week and just wanted to come play because the, the practice rounds for the majors can be a little long you know have a lot of guys haven't seen this place before so feel the need to play 18 holes and and check it out and I, I just uh, I didn't really want to have a six-hour practice round so it worked out well to come check it out and um, it's it's just it's a cool place I mean it's it's very in front of you it's old school you got dog legs I mean I'm, I haven't been on the course since I was here Monday but I'm sure it's going to be long rough and and firm and fast greens. 
I mean, you always know U.S. Open's a grind. I mean, that's why I love it. I think that's why a lot of guys love it. it it's a, you know, you're, it's one of the few times of the year you're kind of playing uh, more in relation to par, and, and par's a good score. Um, I mean, driving the ball is going to be very important this week, but I think like any any major, especially U.S. Open, I mean, scrambling and salvaging and making, you know, those, those putts for par uh, can kind of be the momentum builders. Yeah, I mean, I obviously was very happy for Rory and him winning the tournament. Um, he's, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for him, not only as, as a golfer, but just as a person. I mean, I see how hard he works down in Florida, and it had been a little while since we've had that battle against each other on a Sunday. So, I mean, I definitely could have written the ending a little bit better if I could have come out on top, but uh it just was a big week for the tour. I mean, I, I, I tossed and turned and lost a lot, a, lot, a lot of sleep last week thinking about what could potentially happen. And it's just, you know, I've, I grew up my entire life wanting to play the PGA Tour, wanting to, uh, you know, break records, make history, play Presidents Cups, play Ryder Cups. And, you know, the fact that things like that could potentially, um, you know, get hurt because of, you know, some of the people that are leaving and, and if more go, um, it's just sad. I mean, it's really no other way to say it. It's just it, it just makes me sad, you know, because like I said, I've grown up my entire life wanting to do that and I don't want to do anything else. Um, you know, I mean, the, the people that have gone, it's, it's like I said, they have the decision that they're entitled to make it. Not necessarily that I agree with it one way or the other, but uh, everything's got a price, I guess. I want it to be both. I mean, we are all, we are all grown ups, and um, it's. I just I go back and forth so much on, on different thoughts and how I feel about it. But it's just I I just I know what I want to happen. But it's just at the end of the day, you don't know if it is going to happen because, like I've said from the beginning, it's. I mean, it's astronomical money that they're throwing at people, and you know. Th- that's people every, everybody has a price for everything it doesn't matter if you don't want to do it if you do want to do it there's going to be some kind of number that's going to get people to think about it and they're reaching that number with a lot of people so I just want to be able to basically say my part or what I think about uh, the decision or, or the PGA Tour and I mean, selfishly, I don't want anybody to leave. You know, I mean, I've, I've talked to some of my peers that have asked me questions, and I don't know probably as much as others, but I'm like, you got to do what's best for you or what you think is, is best um, for your career. I'm like, but selfishly, I don't want you to go. That's, that's how I kind of end any phrase or any, any conversation that I'm having with somebody about it because at the end of the day, I'm not their parent. I'm not, you know, the person that's making their decisions. All I can do is plead my case. Uh, but everybody out here is a grown-up. They can make their own decisions. I mean, I'd hope so just for the, the sake of – I mean, I know he's accomplished a lot more than I have. He's He's been out here longer. He's been more successful. Um, but there's nobody that has, I think, acts better for – acts more humble and more grounded for what they've done and who they are than him. I mean, I, I remember being a rookie and, and moving down to Jupiter, and he was out of Bears Club, and I just – being the person I am wanting to learn going up to him and I just was like hey I'd I'd love to play sometime you know introduce myself and and he was like yeah anytime and you know gave me his number and we we kind of hit it off I mean we're very similar personalities so for me I I definitely think that other people should should look up to someone like him I mean I do in some aspects I mean there's definitely other parts that um you know he's still a a competitor and someone that I'm trying to beat Mm -hmm. but 
there's still a lot of things that, as a leader that he does really well, and I think that um, he's very he's very honest, you know, like I am. I'm not going to sit in here and and feed a you know a PC answer or, or just say something to maybe please a certain crowd. If, if you feel a certain way, you know, you feel like you should say that, mm-hmm. and um, that's what he does, and he does it for the for the best reasons and hopes that it um, that it's going to be the best for the PGA Tour. Well, I hope it wouldn't change anything with how I play. Uh, I mean, it's not – like I said, when I kind of have off time and I'm sitting there and able to think about some stuff, obviously, I mean, you can't go anywhere. I'm sure it's the same with you all. You can't go anywhere without people – somebody bringing it up. But but that's just kind of one of the things I spoke to earlier. It's just like it's sad. Like this is the U.S. Open, and this is an unbelievable venue, a place with so much history, an unbelievable field, so many storylines, and yet that's – seems to be what all the questions are about and that's uh that's unfortunate that's not right to the usga that's not right for the u.s open that's not right for us players um but that's unfortunately where we're at right now you know i think it's my dad said it best and you know we're it just was talking to him about you know not only everything going on with golf but just going on in the world and it's just like I mean, my dad is someone, you know, very old school. It's just he loved to work. You know, he, he'd work 80 hours, you know, a week as a club pro. And he would, you know, he'd pull his own cart. He'd pull the carts down in the morning. He'd, he'd close the shop up in the afternoon. And he'd be the first to say, he's like, I made no money, but I just love to work. And it, there's no, you have to love what you're doing is basically what I'm saying. There's no amount of money that you could get that if you don't love or enjoy what you're actually doing, the amount of money you have doesn't you're still going to be miserable you're still not going to enjoy it and although you might be you know miserable in a bigger house or a nicer car um that doesn't necessarily mean that your life is going to be any better so i think it's what's very important for juniors and everybody growing up is just you got to be passionate about it and play for the right reasons and and just want to want to get better and and strive for that and uh, keep working at it because I think it's just it's honest. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I I try I've tried to get better, but I just truly think it's just the day and age of of I mean, social media has just gotten that way to where it's like it's so negative anymore. And I mean, I, like I said, I'm the first to admit that there's times where people do something and and I bash them. At, obviously, not externally, maybe internally with friends or whatever it is. And it's like it just it's not necessary. Like it's not. You can disagree with the decision. You can maybe wish that they did something differently. You can maybe and, – and another thing is, is being in the media as a writer, you have to write about it. Like, I understand that. But, you know, for people at home to necessarily say that Dustin Johnson is now a bad person, that's, that's not fair. That's just not – it's not right. Now, again, I said it last week. I'll say it again. Do I wish he wouldn't have done it? And, like, am I a little sad about it? Yeah. But, I mean, it is what it is. Like, it's – you just got to move on and make the best out of what you got. And, and um, you know, I guess just worry about yourself a little bit sometimes. Interesting comments from Justin Thomas's press conference yesterday, certainly taking a leadership role in all of the turbulent waters currently of the world of golf. Now, it will be smooth sailing down the road from this U.S. Open at Brookline just outside of Boston to TPC River Highlands in Cromwell, Connecticut. For the Travelers Championship, cannot wait to get there. You guys can get there as well just by logging on to Travelers 
championship.com. The field is absolutely stout, as it always is. Incredibly impressive. We're going to get into the details of the same in just a moment because we are delighted on this Tuesday to be joined by Nathan Groove, who's the director of the Travelers Championship. Nathan, welcome to the program. Happy U.S. Open Week. Super excited about getting down to the Travelers as well. How is everything going for you guys in prep-wise at this point? It's all good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. We're uh, counting the hours now, right, to uh, to the tournament. But to your point, the the Open's right up the road, and, uh, you know, guys are going to be coming down here. So you can feel it in the air, the anticipation, the excitement. So things are good. You, you probably heard me alluding to it because I wanted you to open up the package for everybody here. But the field that you have and, and the marquee players that, once again, the Travelers Championship will be have on display, and this is just a partial list of it. Do you want to run through some of the names of those that are stars <laughs> of the world of golf that will be on site? Yeah, it, it's awesome. So it's funny. I remember years ago when we started to follow the U.S. Open, people were very, uh, I would say, concerned about our field. And I mean, you've been a part of building this and Andy Bissett with Travelers building it. And we're just thrilled that the guys circle us on the calendar and like, OK, we're, we're playing Travelers week after. So, I mean, you start off the bat. I mean, Scotty Scheffler and, and you just had Justin uh, on there and Rory and Xander and uh, Sam Burns is coming this year. I'm looking through the thinking through the top ten, six of the top ten, and then um, it's it's going to be a special field. And it's the guys I think just kind of circle it because we're, we're definitely a different feel than coming out of the major. You know, I mean, obviously the what the U.S. Open feels like and the intensity. You come here and it feels a little bit more. Uh, the guys call it a home game. It's it's relaxed. It's like kind of take a deep breath and they enjoy it with their families and their kids. So. You know, it's going to be one of the strongest fields we've had, and uh, I'm so excited for our fans for that reason. Yeah, we're super excited, too. Uh, Sam Burns, you mentioned, is going to be there. Patrick Cantlay, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, of course, Rory, yeah. Xander, Scotty, Justin, all that he mentioned, Brooks Kepka, Will Zalatoris, and more. The list continues to grow. Super, super excited. Now, one of the things over the years that you and I have spoken about in earnest, uh, Nathan, is the fact that this Travelers Championship has deep, deep roots in the community, uh, not only for the golf tournament, interestingly enough, but for the whole series of events that go on throughout the course of the year where the golf tournament ends up becoming the pinnacle moment that built, that everything is building up to. Uh, but the way that this tournament touches the local community, the way that it touches the charities, the way that it benefits the primary beneficiary, the hole in the wall game camp, uh, and next week we're looking forward to speaking to Jimmy Canton about the same as well. Yeah. Uh, but for all those things, it, it really gives you a very, very unique, I think, place in the world of golf that you can be so ingrained with your local community and yet still hosting a major sporting event. So you, you hit on something, right? I think it's rare to have, it starts with our title, right? With, with travelers having 7,000, I think, employees here um, in the state of Connecticut, like first and foremost, it's personal. And when I think you can get a title sponsor that where the event is personal and it's not just hey, we're going to do it from a branding standpoint. We're going to do it because it's good for our business. We're going to do it for charity. But it actually becomes personal. Um, that's where it starts with. I mean, uh, you, you know Andy from Travelers. It is He's from this area. It's, it, it's just a, it's a personal thing. We have 2,000 Travelers employees that volunteer for the wow. tournament. Um, and when you get that, and then to your point, you mushroom out. Okay, so it's personal, first of all, right? It's not just, hey, we're going to fly in, sponsor a tour event, and then we're going to fly out. We live here, breathe here, see the see the charities year round, see the residents year round. We see the the club staff year round and we're always making sure they feel part of this thing that culminates and you, know, you work all year for it. So 
You have 125 charities that last year that are all rooted in this community that are part of this event. You have the volunteer piece, you have the sponsor piece. And, and you look at, I mean, you know the economics of a PGA Tour event. I mean, it's not you know a small task economically. You have to have the corporate support and when you look at our corporate partners that are from this area, that have deep roots in this community, um, that, you know, from Stanley Black & Decker to Eversource to Trinity Health, like our big partners, they're also rooted in this community. So, again, for everybody, it's personal. And I think that starts uh, that starts in the DNA and then the players feel that and the sponsors feel that and the fans feel that. I'm going to ask you a two-part question to wrap up, uh, Nathan, too. And we really appreciate your time on this very busy week leading into an uber-busy week for you of your Travelers Championship. And that is, can you kind of give us a broad brush of the experience for fans coming to the Travelers Championship mm-hmm. next week? And then at the end of that, if you'd be so kind, let us know about ticket options and availability. Sure. I, so I will say this. We learned a lot the last couple of years, right, when we had no fans in 2020 and then when we had limited capacity in 21. And there were actually some things that I think the fans are going to enjoy this year with no no crowd limits. We we wanted fans to come back and feel like we kind of talk about like it's Disneyland, right? You can be here from 630 in the morning until eight o'clock at night and we need to take care of you as the fan that entire time. So, I mean, some simple things that the fans are going to notice, right? We included parking in the tickets this year, so they don't, there's no transaction or delay getting into the property. We built four venues on property this year where the general admission ticket holder can go inside for free. Climate control, viewing decks, um, you know, just to embrace the local uh, feel for the, the ticket holder. So they, there's four private venues that are private for the fans. It's funny to say it there, but anybody can get in them. And so that has been received very well when people are buying tickets. But yeah, you can go to TravelersChampionship.com. Um, some of the stuff is sold out. Uh, the general admission we're pacing well ahead of 2019. So you know, it's um, I would recommend going now to get tickets if you're looking at it. But I, I promise you, if you're a fan coming on property, you're going to be able to tell that we care, that we try to anticipate your needs, and you are going to feel that when you get on property. There is never any doubt about that, my friend. Nathan Groove, Tournament Director of the Travelers Championship. As always, we wish you the very, very best. Super excited to see you and everyone down at the Travelers. See you soon, Matt. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Travelerschampionship.com, the website, folks, for you to log on and check out all those different ticket options that Nathan Groove was talking about. The PGA Tour Superstore is a presenting sponsor of the Fairways of Life show. They are the number one golf retailer in all of the land with more than 50 big, beautiful stores spreading out from coast to coast, whatever you need for your game. Even if it's lessons, you can get it at the PGA Tour Superstore. Check it out today. Just log on to PGATourSuperstore.com. And don't forget about this. I'm wearing it right now. This is my DeWiz, this wearable device by DeWizGolf.com. If you want to log on to the website and check it out, it's based on neuroscience, and it measures your swing in real time and space so that you know that feel isn't real. This tells you exactly where your swing is, so you know exactly what you need to be working on. It is a training device unlike any I've ever seen before that gives you instant feedback on exactly where you are in your golf swing. Check it out. It's the reason why so many major champions and stars of today's game have already aligned themselves with DeWiz Golf because of this very, very special technology. DeWizGolf.com. Back with more live from the U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts after this. At Ben Hogan Golf, we do things differently. We handcraft our clubs to your specifications, and we only sell online so you don't pay retail markup. We make exceptional golf clubs and deliver them directly to your door. Now that's different. In Ireland, 
Golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Press the green button and start your journey at ireland.com slash golf. Hey, Bryson. What up? I was just going through Bridgestone's new online ball fitting. Pretty sweet, huh? Yeah, very cool. I just got fit to that new Tour BXS I've been playing. Nice. I got fit to the Tour BX. It's a little faster. Hold on. Here's Fred. Hey, guys. Am I doing this right? You've never looked better, Freddy. <laughs> Find your fit at BristoneGolf.com. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever? Because we are. Our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from Callaway, TaylorMade, Cobra, Titleist, and more. Plus, shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands. Experience golf's biggest selection under one roof. Don't just shop this season. Shop with the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore. The Fairways of Life show is live weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time and 24-7 on demand as a digital radio and streaming television show. Download the Fairways of Life app and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Log in to fairwaysoflife.com for more information. Are you an E or a C? Both have Ridgeback. These are loaded with tech. Which one are you gaming? Definitely E for me. It's just so forgiving. I'm definitely an E. C is for checkout. What else? C is for kill it. C is me. Low spinning bombs. So, are you an E or a C? Hmm. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One zero one. Gives you feedback in real time so you feel where you are in your golf swing. Transition, plus 4.2 inches. Length of back swing, 15.3 inches. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. Transition on plane. That's the mic drop. That is the absolutely beautiful golf course that will be hosting the 122nd U.S. Open. Live from the Country Club here in Brookline, Massachusetts, Matt Adams with you. Excited about your company. I'm going to welcome in Dom in just a second here to talk about the weather. But first, yesterday I had a chance to just happen to bump into this gent that's been a member of Brookline, uh, the Country Club, for a long, long time here in Brookline. And I didn't realize the conversation was going to go this way, but we started talking about their roots. Now, the sound isn't great on this because I shot it on my phone and edited it together, but it was a fun little piece, I think, that tells you a little bit more about the background of this very special place. Jim Bride is joining us. He's been a member here at the Country Club since 1974. Right. Where we are is in the, when you come in and you see the clubhouse and you see all these buildings surround. I was here with my wife early and she said, what are all these buildings? You know what? I didn't even know. What are all these buildings? Why are there so many here? It's called a campus, and the campus is based on an oval that we're standing in the middle of. And uh, the oval was uh, uh, an area that has been used for many purposes. 
alleged that Bill Wendell and Henry Windler, uh, who was one of the proponents of unicycles, were able to race around here on this oval. Seriously? It, this is what's alleged. So uh, it has been used for many other reasons. The building behind me is, a, is what we call the clubhouse. Yeah. And it was uh, many years ago, obviously with several iterations as it gets better and better. You asked about the brick building that is... Uh, oh, the big columns, beautiful. Yes, isn't it beautiful? At one point there were squash courts in there, but its main purpose has been for the men's and women's locker rooms. How old are the lockers that you have? Now? You guys uh, I would say, uh, they, they certainly have to be 1920 to 1930. They're, they're, they are so, they are so old that they're still the same old. You turn it and you hope it's going to open up. But it never locks, probably. So <laughs> now they aren't the only buildings here. There's another very noble-looking building that's yellow with the white. Yes, it's a club of stables, and that at one point was uh, used for horses. As you know, the Hunter Club was really established uh, as a horse racing venue in 1882, and it wasn't until 1893 that golf even came into this whole idea of how families from Boston an area would enjoy sports. So it, initially the stables, the stables was used for uh, the, uh, the families who came with their, their horses and carriages and they'd ring a bell over here and that would alert some of the stables to be ready and to open the door, gather the horses and do what you had to do. It is such a cool thing when you're on the grounds here and you see these very old buildings, very noble buildings, as you can see, stately, that have been modified into their current uses. In fact, uh, that, that same stable building has a world-class gymnasium in there that you'd see like if you paid for a really big gym membership someplace. That's how good this one looks. Uh, you heard me mention to w the weather. It has been warm. It has been dry. Dom, what are you seeing in the days that lie ahead as in the official weather forecast in the USGA? Uh, well, you can see if you're watching on our television side there, we've got a graphic up with the weather through the rest of the week. Um, we're pretty much looking at it, the forecast hasn't changed much from from what we talked about yesterday. You know, mid to high 70s, possibly hitting the 80s every tournament day. There is a small chance for thunderstorms each day. Again, depending on what service you want to use and, and who you trust, anywhere from 20 to 50 percent chance of some some showers coming through each day. Uh, never going to get more than a quarter inch of rain. But the wind is still a factor. It's still an issue for all four rounds of tournament play. You can see, if you're looking on the TV side there, that bottom number underneath the mile per hour there, 10 to 15, 16 to 24, 14 to 21, those are the gusts. So those are, that's, um, I mean, that's, that's some serious wind, Matt. And you walked the golf course yesterday. I would imagine with the rough the way it is, where it is, I mean, if you're, if you're hugging the right or left side of a fairway or the, or the right or left side of a green and you get a gust, I mean, that's, that, that, that could be a two or three shot difference, could it not? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, the, the feature that I showed you guys earlier about the depth of the rough, and it's not just the depth, it's also the way that that grass will wrap around the hosel is, is so severe. I don't know, Andrew, if you could kind of uh, zoom ahead in the, in the feature that I did and just show what that rough looks like. It's important to realize that it's a graduated rough so it gets deeper as you get out. I was only about 40 feet from the edge of the fairway when I was doing this piece. And you can see that that, th that grass is so thick. When it wraps up like that, it's almost like wire. 
So it's going to be, not only is the, I'm talking about the primary rough, but then you've got this deep, deep, deep stuff as well that's going to be quite a challenge to anybody that is wayward. Now, the interesting thing is, is that in between this is the, where the gallery will walk. So if you are fortunate enough to hit it, just, it's like a matter of degrees. If you're missing fairways by, say, 10 feet because of the wind, as Don was noting, like if you miss it in the old days by 6 inches or 3 feet, they would complain because the overspray would be such that that formerly would have been uh, fairway grass. So it's very thick and very lush, and, and it's, it's almost more of a penalty to miss by a little bit than to miss by 20 feet because 20 feet will put you in the gallery area where the grass is all trampled down. Well, now with the graduated rough, you're not as penalized as you used to be for that gradual loss. But all of it is still thick rough, and it's really dense here at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. All right, so Phil Mickelson spoke to the media yesterday, and we broke this down into multiple pieces because there's a lot to unpack from this press conference that happened. Phil started with this. This is part one of the way that we have broken down his presser, in which Phil made his opening comments. Let's listen to what Phil had to say, and then we can respond following. Well, I wanted to say that it's um, nice to be back, nice to see you guys, and uh, it's been four months. It's been uh, a necessary time and an opportunity for me to uh, step away a little bit and put a little bit of thought and reflection into... um, going forward and how to uh, best prioritize things. And it's given me an opportunity to spend time with Amy, uh, to spend time with loved ones and uh, continue some of the work therapy-wise on some of the deficiencies that I have, certainly, and as well as um, focus on best paths forward. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a positive time in that, in that regard. Um, I know that many of you have uh, strong, well, many people have strong opinions, emotions about my choice to uh, go forward with Live Golf, and um, I understand and I respect that. I'm incredibly grateful for the PGA Tour and for the many opportunities that it has provided me uh, through the years, Um, but I am excited about this new opportunity as well. I'm excited about being here in Boston at uh, the Country Club. It's one of the five founding members of this uh, of the USGA. It's uh, got incredible, rich history going back to Francis. We met. It has provided me one of the most memorable moments of my career: the '99 Ryder Cup and the comeback that we had. And the fans here are some of the best in the world, and they provide an atmosphere that is second to none for all sports and. Golf is fortunate to be back, and I'm excited to back uh, to be back here and, and participate in this uh, incredible championship that has eluded me for my whole career. All right, so any that questions? was Phil Mickelson in his opening statements. The, the any questions that he gets into, we will get into in just one second. I do have time to play uh, part two for you before we welcome on our next guest. What's interesting with that with Phil is that. Uh, Phil is, and and my comments about Phil are consistent. I've I've said the same thing about Phil for years and years and years, and that is Phil is a master communicator. Uh, You can call it manipulation if you please, because he's extremely good at that too in terms of twisting a message so it suits his agenda. It's very much like a politician would do from that perspective. Usually in Phil's case, it had more to do with commercial objectives than anything else in terms of weaving in sponsors and and talking about clubs that he was playing or what have you. 
in this case, that was a good opening for Phil Mickelson. Uh, and I mean it from the perspective of saying he was light, he was airy, he was friendly, he was welcoming, uh, he welcomed the questions. From there, it got a little bit tight in terms of what went on. And I left in uh, some of the questions here, John and, and, and Dom, and the way they structured this as well, in terms of what the journalists were asking and the reactions from Phil. So in this part two, uh, he was asked about what he learned uh, and what he was working on in terms of himself during his uh, self-imposed hiatus. Hey, Phil, I'm just wondering, in your time away, what did you learn about yourself? I think there were, um, there were a number of things that, that I've certainly learned, but it's given me more than that an opportunity to really prioritize those that I love, those that I care about, and develop a path forward so that I can be more engaged, be more intentional with, uh, when I'm with the people I care about, and also um, have a, a little bit more balance in my life going forward off the golf course. Phil, you've mentioned a few times using the past four months to better yourself. What specific areas did you needed to address? Hmm. I mean, there were a lot of ways, but a lot of, a lot of areas. But as I said earlier, um, being able to be more present and engaged with those that I love and not being uh, distracted all the time with... Uh, with the game of golf, being able to step aside and and, um, and have that time was invaluable. Um, I also continued to um, work on some areas that I was I'm deficient of in my life. I mean, the obvious one is uh, uh, gambling. I've been working on that for years, and it's I'm very happy with where I'm at with that. But um, I'll have to continue to work on that the rest of my life. And this time uh, allowed me to kind of sit still and. Um, and work on these areas, but there are a lot more than that. Interesting from Phil Mickelson. So again, you're just watching the first three minutes, uh, two and a half minutes to be specific of his press conference. And in its entirety, I would say if there was an agenda in terms of what Phil was doing there, I would pin the agenda on him trying to say the right thing. Uh, which is understandable given how he exited from the public eye of, of the game of golf in which he did not in any way come across as having said the right thing. He never, he never denied the comments that were uh, credited to him through Alan Shipnuck's interview for his book. Uh, and it, ha it did severe damage to, to the image of Phil Mickelson, the man that we thought we knew, uh, he stepped away from the game and then admitted to us that he was working on a number of different things, including uh, apparently gambling. Uh, that was that was also part of it. Uh, the interview continues on. There, there are multiple more segments that we have broken this up into. And I can tell you, as it continues, I have to admit, it actually gets more and more uncomfortable. And we'll have that for you coming up in just a little bit. Uh, first of all, I am absolutely delighted to welcome our next guest to the show. Tom Goldman is joining us. He's the national sports correspondent for NPR, uh, National Public Radio. He's been with NPR for 30 years. He's covered every event in sport that is of massive stature or otherwise, Super Bowls, World Series, the NBA Finals, the Olympics, and more. You can hear him regularly on NPR's flagship program, Morning Edition, and All Things Considered. Tom, we appreciate you taking the time and joining us. Welcome into the Media Center here at the U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline. Uh, the reason why we wanted to have you on the show was we were hoping to get a broader perspective than our parochial one when we're talking about the game of golf. And, and I, 
I have this curiosity of how you think sports at large or people at large, if you please, are seeing the game of golf right now. Can they possibly understand the complexities of what the game's going through in terms of the changes that are ahead? Hi, Matt. Uh, Thanks, first of all, for having me on. It is a great honor that I'm on any kind of golf show. Uh, It's exciting (laughs) to be with you. Um, uh, Interesting question and um, hard to to know, hard to gauge where where people in general are at. But I think you're right in saying that, that the average sports fan um, is maybe not going into the minutia of what's going to happen to the PGA Tour versus the live event and so on. Um, and I think they're seeing this in broad brushstrokes now. I think, uh, I think it's being portrayed in enough of the media um, as a good versus evil kind of story. And obviously good right now is the PGA Tour. And if you lived at, if you, if you look at any of the, of the coverage uh, yesterday um, uh, after and before Phil's, um, Phil's uh, what, what exactly that was, his press conference, uh, you see a lot of painting live in, in really kind of um, uh, dark uh, breaststrokes and the PGA Tour conversely in, in very good and, and, and bright brushstrokes. And, uh, and I think people are looking at uh, the players who joined the Live uh, uh, series as, uh, as the bad guys. And, and honestly, um, the players don't seem to be helping themselves either. You know, you just have these interesting clips of Phil and, you know, what, what you're hearing and what you heard in London last week is this recitation that, uh, human rights abuse is bad, and then there's always the but. But um, you know what golf can do for the world, um, and I think maybe a lot of people who are just catching clips of that are kind of saying, "Wait a minute, did these guys just say that um, that human rights uh, uh, abuses can be ameliorated by you know a good, exciting round of golf or an event, so on?" <laughs> so I think they're. Uh, I think right now. People are thinking broadly. I think it is uh, kind of uh, the good versus evil story of the moment. And, and we always love to do that without kind of getting into nuance. And uh, as with anyone who's covering this thing, um, I think right now we have more questions than answers. You know, to that point, uh, Tom, of the good versus evil, broad brushstroke macro vision of this, there are some quarters when we get outside of the game of golf where I hear it being put together essentially as it's about money. And players are looking for opportunities to make more money, in the case of Live Golf, significantly more money. Uh, last week, when Charles Schwartzel won, he won $4.75 million to roughly $1.3, $1.4 for Rory on the PGA Tour in the same week. Uh, but I wonder if when you set up a league, without trying to judge it as good or evil, I'm, just, I'm stating just in terms of the product that you were presenting to, to the public, and you're basing it by and large and saying we're getting the best players because we're paying them the most money. At what point does professional sports essentially come across as monopoly money for the average fan? And money, I don't know how else to phrase it other than to say it really doesn't mean anything. It really comes down to the entertainment value. 
Um, I think that's an excellent point, and and I think we will uh, we're, we're going to see uh, starting in Portland at the end of this month how many people show up. We're going to see what kind of uh, I don't know how they're basic uh, uh, basing uh, viewership you know of online streaming of the event right now, but but we will see because that is the you know ultimately the product matters and will as the PGA Tour has said will this become stale? Will it become stale? you know, seeing basically the same rotating group of players and not that kind of, uh, wow, this person who we've never heard of came out of the blue or, you know, will it be that, uh, uh, that one of the golfers uh, standing over a, a four foot putt, um, you know, it just won't have the same drama because it's like, uh, you're not having to sink that putt to make the cut or make a certain amount of money uh, when the 48th finisher, um, all due respect to Andy, makes $120,000. So uh, I think that, that this is one of the things that's going to play out. Andy Ogletree uh, finished dead last last week. That's what uh, Tom was just referring to there in terms of all due respect to Andy Ogletree. Last place finish was $120,000 paycheck at Live Golf. Uh, Tom, what's interesting to me with all of this in terms of the judgments that are being made is that the Saudi royal family and the public investment fund that is behind the funding of Live Golf, they have invested $43 billion in American corporations. These are companies that every one of us do business with every day. At least in part, the money has gone to companies including a Visa, just as an example. So... From that standpoint, from the standpoint that the public investment fund already funds sporting teams, including Formula One, including uh, the English Premier League, uh, the fact that Saudi Arabia is an important national defense interest of the United States, our, our president uh, there recently to, to try to elicit more oil and, and further cooperation. From all those standpoints, is there not a tremendous amount of hypocrisy in all of this as well? There certainly is. Um, and, and this whole story becomes a matter of what we, especially in the media, because a lot of time we set the tone for the conversation, um, what we are going to be talking about. Uh, right now, as I mentioned, it is a very kind of easy good versus evil uh, story with the players, not as I mentioned, not not helping themselves. And as an aside, Matt, wouldn't it be great to hear Phil Mickelson, who has talked about the introspection of the last four months and the therapy and the, you know, going uh, going at his gambling addiction and, you know, some some really personal stuff that he's revealing. Wouldn't it be fantastic if he primarily would come out and really address what the 9-11 family's letter was talking about or what the media keeps hammering him, excuse me, hammering him for and talk about, um, okay, you know, and Phil, as you rightly mentioned, has, has been beloved by the media uh, for the way he's been honest and, um, uh, you know, you, you could always... You could always expect a good quote for him. And that's kind of another sidelight, kind of a sad thing of this new Phil is he's just boring now. If he's just going to be doing what he's doing and taking everything behind closed door. 
behind closed doors. But what if Phil really got introspective because I can't believe he read that letter from the 9-11 organization and, and it didn't hit him in the gut or whether Bryson DeChambeau did or Patrick Reed or any of the other uh, U.S. players who were on the live event. And what if they really talked about, this was tough. This was really tough. Let's let's talk about this. Um I think because it would ultimately come around to a question of, well, then if you feel this way, if you feel if this really hits you in the gut, why are you staying with Liv? Then this would get to the ultimate um, elephant in the room. Well, I'm taking a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I got off course there, Matt. Uh, re- rephrase the question for me that I was, before I took that detour and Phil. Well, you, oh, you about the hypocrisy. Much, yeah. Yeah. About the hypocrisy. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, maybe this is going to be the next step as we go along. As I mentioned right now, we're in the white hot good versus evil. The first live event was last week last weekend. And and now we have uh, the first, uh, you know, major happening right while that's going on. Uh, and the two are colliding. Maybe by Portland, the narrative will have changed a little bit where we're starting to talk a little more about that hypocrisy. I'm expecting, since I'm based in Portland and hoping to cover the event, um, to walk uh, among the gallery and, uh, and, and, and get people talking about that. And I'm sure you will, you will hear that from people who have paid to watch the live event, because why else would they be there? So they, they, they'll make arguments. Well, what about this? What about the, what about these sports? What about sports washing that's gone on since 1936 in Berlin? So, um, yeah, I think that's a story still to emerge. Yeah, it, it is interesting, Tom. I can tell you that being on the golf course yesterday and following a number of different players that are here directly from the live event in London, including Bryson DeChambeau, Bryson was subject to some verbal jabs coming from the gallery, uh, and they were sharp and they were harsh and they were mean. Uh, I'm not going to say that they they were undeserved because of the way that you've already framed this. It's perceived as a good versus evil. It's perceived as you chose the money. You chose to take a path that you knew exactly what you were doing, and you did it because of money. When it comes to Phil, I think it's more complex because when it comes to Phil Mickelson, I think the sense is is that there was also a violation of trust, even though it was really a revelation. Uh, I think from a public perspective, they look at Phil Mickelson and say, you know what, you are not the person that we all thought that you were. And then Phil's having to come through, you know, beat himself with the reeds and say, look, I'm trying to better myself. I'm trying to be the person that you all want me to be. Um, so it's, it's interesting with that level of complexity. I am curious, Tom, in, in your perspective, because you have covered so many sports for so long for NPR, can you think of another occasion where anything such as this has happened in another sport? And what was the result? Um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, a kind of a schism, like, uh, you know, a real time schism in a sport, Matt, I, I really can't remember something like this. I, I really can't. And maybe because it's early on the West coast. Um, but, um, I think, um, I think this is unique in that way. 
I think it's unique in in how it's going to play out. You know, such a genteel sport, as you know well, and and you know to to expect Justin Thomas to kind of chest up to Bryson DeChambeau. Well, he might not because Bryson's a lot bigger, but so, one of the other golfers. Um, and and say what the heck are you doing? We you know we don't expect that to happen, um, and and so far uh, even players like Rory, who's been uh, you know pretty outspoken in in favor of the PGA Tours side, um, you know uh, he and and Justin, the two most outspoken, have talked about their friends on on the live event, and this hasn't really, as far as I know, I haven't heard the latest, but this hasn't um, had an impact on that. Um, But uh, no, one of the fascinating things to find out about this, and I think that's why this this, um, kind of rises above, is, um, is having this us versus them. And is that, as we watch the U.S. Open unfold, uh, outside of Boston, is this going to make for uncomfortable moments? Um, I think at this point for golf fans, it may be disappointing moments because there always is a sense when you're watching uh, a golf tournament and a great golf tournament, a major, that it's, you know, uh, the players versus the course. And I think this is the first time in, in any of our experience that I can remember that we're thinking, wait a minute, this is player versus player in a sense. And even within some groupings, it's going to be player versus player. So uh, to be determined. Tom, I have to tell you, you started this interview by saying that you were honored to be on a golf show. We are honored with your company. Tom Goldman has been with NPR for 30 years covering everything. And we had hoped for and you delivered, giving us a perspective that was beyond our world of golf, and we appreciate it. Uh, I, I think it's fascinating, even in listening to your words, that clearly none of us know where all of this is heading. Uh, it's in many ways just beginning, uh, and I think it will be fascinating to see how it plays itself out. But we do appreciate your time, sir. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Folks, we'll have more of the Fairways of Life show coming up live from the U.S. Open after this. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. Yes, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. The Fairways of Life show is live weekdays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time and 24-7 on demand as a digital radio and streaming television show. Download the Fairways of Life app and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Log in to fairwaysoflife.com for more information. Premium golf equipment doesn't have to be expensive. At Ben Hogan Golf, we design and custom build our clubs and sell them directly to you. And you can try any club for just 25 bucks at benhogangolf.com. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever? 
because we are. Our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from Callaway, TaylorMade, Cobra, Titleist, and more. Plus, shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands. Experience golf's biggest selection under one roof. Don't just shop this season. Shop with the pros at the PGA Tour Superstore. Created without the constraints of time or money, PXG Golf Clubs are the most technologically advanced available today. And they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. And the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know. PXG. Nobody builds golf clubs the way we do, period. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. Welcome back to the 122nd U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Matt Adams here with you. Dom and Andrew are behind the glass. We are live from the media center here at Brookline. When you just heard Tom Goldman talking about Phil Mickelson being asked about the families, uh, Phil's answer to that the letter, and, and he said to those families, I'm quoting, I would say to the Strata family, again, it's about this letter, quoting, I would say to the Strata family, I would say to everyone that lost loved ones, lost friends in 9-11, that I have deep, deep empathy for them. I can't empathize enough. I have the deepest of sympathy and empathy for them. And then later in the press conference, he was asked, would you like to write to the families personally? It's not easy to address such an issue in public. Would you prefer to speak to them or write to them privately? And Phil said, I think I speak for pretty much every American in that we feel the deepest of sympathy and the deepest of empathy for those who lost loved ones and friends in 9-11. It affected all of us and those that have been directly affected. I think, I think I can't emphasize enough how much I have empathy for them end quote from Phil Mickelson. Uh, so in the retrospect of his press conference, and as you, as you picked up there, everything that Phil said there really wasn't an answer. It was simply saying, I feel for you and what you have gone through and what you are continuing to go through. It didn't answer the quintessential questions that were asked of him uh, in the press room or presumably in that letter of why are you aligning yourself in such a way. Now, in this piece, uh, Phil Mickelson was asked the following. How do you feel about the PGA of America's decision to move the PGA Championship away from the Trump course in Bedminster to Tulsa in the wake of the January 6th riots? And then how do you feel about these two live events being played on Trump courses? So politics entered into this as well. Here's how Phil Mickelson reacted. So let's go back to just one at a time. I thought I don't really know what to say about the PGA and their decision. That's ultimately their, their decision. I thought that it went really well at Southern Hills. I thought it was a fun tournament to watch. I, I, did, uh, I thought it was exciting, came down to the end and was, was exceptional, but uh, I don't get involved in that matter. Uh, that's for the PGA of America. And um, I haven't been involved um, 
in Live Golf and their decision on, on where to hold uh, their events, but uh, those discussions should be held privately and behind closed doors. I, I'm, I care more about the quality of the test of golf, the quality of the golf course, the fan experience and their ability to see and view uh, the golf and the, the challenge of what the venue provides for the players, risk-reward, exciting to see, birdie opportunities, tough pars. I care more about that. All right, so amongst the questions that Phil Mickelson was asked, and this goes to what I was mentioning to Tom, and I also mentioned to you guys at the head of the program, that being out on the golf course yesterday, I heard people yelling from the gallery to players that have signed up with lifts. Specifically, I heard Bryson DeChambeau getting it pretty hard out on the golf course. And so Phil was asked the question, and I'm quoting the question. Phil, you mentioned earlier you have strong emotional respect for people who have strong opinions opposing your decision to join Live Golf. You've obviously been one of the most popular players over the years amongst fans, but if a segment of your fan base decided to walk away from you and not support you anymore, would you respect and understand that decision? And if so, why? And if not, why not? In regards to if fans would leave or whatnot, I I respect and I understand their opinions. And I understand that they have um, strong feelings and strong emotions regarding um, this choice. And I certainly respect them. I respect that. Uh, I respect that. Um, I have um, I have the utmost respect for the players on the PGA Tour. Uh, there have been a lot of friendships that have gone on for decades uh, with Amy and myself. There have been a lot of uh, memories that we shared, experiences that we shared. And there, many of the players on the PGA Tour are people that... Um, I look up to and respect the most. Um, I think that um, I I think that um, I respect if they disagree. Um, but at this time, this was this is the right decision. I think the Boston crowds are some of the best in sports, and I think that they have. Uh, given me a lot of support and I'm very appreciative of, over, appreciative of that over the years and I think that their, their uh, excitement and energy is what creates such a great atmosphere so um, whether it's positive or negative towards me directly I, I think it's going to provide an incredible atmosphere to hold this championship I think it's going to be um, a great event and the people here have a lot to do with that the point of starting it up, I'll have to defer to those at Lift Golf. Um, you know, it was their um, it was their idea, it was their brain tri- uh, trust or child uh, their their thoughts and ideas that they brought to fruition. I certainly respect um, Rory. I thought it was what what a great finish yesterday and a great accomplishment and uh, what a career he's had. I certainly respect him. I respect his ideas. I respect all the players that um, choose to uh, stay on the PGA Tour. We, we, uh, I, I certainly uh, think extremely highly of um, 
many of the players on the PJ Tour and and their right to uh, their own decisions. All right, Phil Mickelson again addressing the media yesterday that we have broken down into parts to get his reaction from the same. I thought uh, the most telling thing there from that part of Phil's press conference was when he said, I'm looking into the transcript right now to find the exact quote, uh, was when he said that it was the right decision at this time. Uh, I think that's the first time that we've seen where, where Phil didn't justify the decision, mind you. He just said it was the right decision at this time so that from what we've heard so far, here we had a Phil Mickelson who contrary to his comments that he made to John Huggin in the initial interview when he spoke about a noxious greed of the PGA Tour, where given the way that Phil operates in the past, he plants a seed and wants it to grow of its own accord and become uh, substantial of just, just through the fact that he entered it into the dialogue. He, he did it multiple times throughout the course of his career. He very much did it after the 2014 Ryder Cup. Um, after that, when his comments were released from Alan Shipnuck in the promotion of his book, the unauthorized biography he wrote on Phil Mickelson. That was the most damning. That was the most damaging. And that's what prompted ultimately Phil Mickelson to leave the public eye for a considerable period of time from February until he returned last week at Live Golf. Interestingly enough, as you guys are well aware, he chose not to play in the Masters. I think more distinctively, though, he chose to not defend his PGA championship uh, whether that's because those last few lingering days were critically important to the betterment of his of himself through the issues that he was dealing with, which he claims were beyond just uh, gambling addiction, uh, but he did decide to play in the event in London. So he didn't defend his major championship, the PGA Championship. He did play in an exhibition event at the Live Golf event in London, for which uh, he apparently was paid somewhere up to... $200 million. So when we saw Phil Mickelson, and it is a study of character with Phil Mickelson, it is a study of procedure because it is something that we have seen many, many times. He clearly is attempting to say either nothing of substance or at least to put it in a positive spin to say the right thing. Uh, from what I've seen so far, he didn't say anything good about the PGA Tour in those prior interviews. He was talking about leverage. He was talking about obnoxious greed. This time, he said nice things about the PGA Tour. He said nice things about his fellow PGA Tour players. Did he believe that and not believe it then? Uh, was that something that came about because of the deep reflection that he has gone through? Uh, was that because he realized that there was a tremendous amount of negative outcry when you have made tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars from the stage that the PGA Tour provided, and it's not just what you did with club in hand, it's also sponsorships and more, and I won't deny the part that he played. He also gave back to those same institutions, but nonetheless, when you turn your back on the institution and start to uh, try to draw a picture of them as the great evil, it's a difficult pill there to swallow. Uh, the fact that he said that he respects other opinions without really describing how and why he did what he did, was definitely odd and it was definitely strained in terms of of how everything played out uh, I hope that Phil was just being honest when he talked about the issues that he was working on which includes his gambling addiction but because he's Phil I'm not sure if that was not presented up to show himself as I'm a human being like everybody else and I need to work on things 
Uh, but when he was hit with some really hard questions, the bottom line to take away from it was he took the money. He still took the money. Uh, and then the, his quote about it being the right decision at this time, I thought, was really interesting. Uh, to that, all of it leads to this. Uh, this is the next segment where Phil was asked about his legacy. I'm curious, what does legacy mean to you? And do you think your legacy will change now that you're associated with Live Golf? So I'm going to try just I don't like it when you keep asking multiple questions, but um, as far as legacy, and I'll just address that, I would say that um, I've been a part of the PGA Tour now for 30-plus years, and uh, I have... Uh, enjoyed my time i've enjoyed the opportunities it's provided i've enjoyed the the lifestyle it's provided i've enjoyed the fact that the game of golf uh through the pga tour has been able to give me and my family so much i'm appreciative of that fact and during that time i've worked really hard uh behind the scenes as well as on the scenes to try to contribute as a way of showing my appreciation um And I've, do, I've done the best I can to, to, to give back to it as well. So um, I feel good about that. I feel good about the efforts I put in to try to get back to the game of golf as well as the tour. And I'm excited about the opportunity that Live Golf presents for me and the game of golf going forward. Do you think that my legacy may have changed or will change? Like I said, I've done all I can to help contribute to the game, uh, cont contribute to the PGA Tour during my time with them, and that's, that's all I can do. Again, it's interesting with Phil in that segment where the question was asked and he said in part, I don't like that you keep asking multiple questions. As far as a legacy, I will address that, and that's what he did. In essence, uh, his answer to the question, while it, was, while it was terse from that, I'm assuming what he's referring to there when he said, I don't like that you keep asking multiple questions, was about live golf that he wanted to move on, he wanted to move the, the conversation forward. But, it's, but it is a very interesting and I think worthy observation in this press conference with Phil. Again, when you look at the way that Phil has handled the media for the last 30 years is that he and his team have been very effective in the way that the rules were behind the scenes. I'm just being completely honest with you at how this used to play out. Uh, and the way it used to play out, and frankly, it was the same for Tiger back in the day, was that you play the game according to their rules. And their rules are is you don't get too close to sensitive areas. Because if you do, you're going to be denied access to these superstars, and everybody that's in media needs access. So everyone's usually very careful in terms of how they couch their questions, and they make sure that the questions don't, uh, cause the ire of the player that they're talking to in either case uh, that, that I just described to you there. Obviously, in this case, that veil is off, the gloves are off, and you could see that Phil is reacting to the fact that he's before a room full of media and he's getting aggravated that it's not going according to the plan or it's not going the way that it has previously. I think that's a reflection of the fact that the rules have changed. Uh, the, the, I, I think in many ways, as I was talking to Tom about earlier in the program, uh, in Phil's case, I don't think it's necessarily just a view of the PGA Tour is good and Live Golf is evil. I do think that's part of the macro uh, 
definition of what's happening in the game of golf right now. But with Phil, I think people feel a violation of trust. I think they see that this was a revelation of true character. And from that standpoint, I think they feel duped as well. I'm just trying to understand and give you the perspective that I'm seeing and hearing from golfers. It's not everyone. There are those out there as well, and maybe perhaps with merit, that go, you know what? Does the punishment really fit the crime? Is he really the only one here? Aren't we all in some ways culpable in terms of what we consume from this very same regime? But it's okay for us at large, but it's not okay for him individually. Uh, so these are all questions that are very complicated in terms of how all of this goes. These, these following two segments from Phil, I'm going to bundle together here as we wrap up our program from the Fairways of Life show this Tuesday, live from the U.S. Open at Brookline at the Country Club. Tomorrow, I'm going to be uh, joined on the program by Mark Carnevale, which I'm really looking forward to, to talk to him, hopefully more about what's actually happening here on the grounds, the golf course and prospects and who you think is most likely to contend in the week that lies before us. But in the next two segments, you're going to hear uh, Phil was asked about his playing future his relationship with the PGA Tour. As you could hear, I think he was making a, a very considerable effort to try to say nice things about the PGA Tour in contrast to his last comments accredited to him and made uh, before he left the scene in February. And then in the final, it was talking about live and the appeal. I'll give you the question in that final one where he says, Phil, you're, you're not the first professional athlete to deal with Saudi Arabia, boxing, horse racing, motorsport, Premier League, U.S. government even deals with Saudi Arabia. Do you feel the criticism of yourself and others has maybe been unfairly harsh? That will be in the last segment that you're going to hear. Uh, but this first one comes up is where he was asked, what are your plans playing-wise beyond this week in terms of anything? Do you hope to do anything beyond the live events and the Open Championship? And just as a follow-up, do you feel like Phil jumped in? So I think it's been pretty public that I'm suspended along with a, a bunch of other players. So it would be only speculative going forward. I am going to play the live events. I'm going to play the, the British Open. Um, but anything other than that would be pure speculation. I don't know how this is all going to play out. My preference is to be able to choose which path I'd like, one or the other or both. I feel that, as I was saying to Ann, I gave as much back to the PGA Tour and the game of golf that I could throughout my 30 years here. And through my uh, accomplishments on the, on the course, I've earned a lifetime membership. Um, I intend to keep that. And then choose going forward which events to play or not. Um, I think that's a better question for the USGA, but I would say in regards to um, issues that I've had, I, I have had strong opinions and ideas, let's say, regarding most of the governing bodies, and I've done a poor job of conveying that. I've made it public and that was, that's been a mistake. That's one of the mistakes I've been making and I'll try to going forward be a lot more thoughtful with my words and actions and try to keep a lot of those things behind closed doors. In regards to the PGA Tour, there's a lot of things throughout the years that um, the PGA Tour has done that I agree with and there's a lot of things that I don't agree with and yet I've supported them either way. Um, and um, 
that's the way I feel going forward for other governing bodies as well. And I'm going to try to keep any issues that I have, uh, again, going forward behind closed doors because it was one of the biggest mistakes I've made is, is voicing all of these little things. Phil, are you at peace with the real possibility of never playing on the PGA Tour again? I, I am, uh, again, very appreciative of the many memories, opportunities, experiences, friendships, relationships PJ Tour has provided, uh, and those are going to last, those will last a lifetime. Um, but I'm hopeful that I'll have a chance to create more. That, that's not necessarily for me to say. I think the important thing is that... Um, Everyone ha is entitled to their uh, opinion. I understand that it brings out a lot of strong emotions for a lot of people, and I respect um, the way they, they may or may not feel about it. I think that there's, a, uh, certain, there's an obvious, um, incredible financial commitment, but more than that, uh, for, for all the players involved and everyone involved, but more than that, there are other factors that with um, fewer tournaments, it allows me to have more balance in my life. It allows me to do things that are off the golf course I've always wanted to do. And um, I find that uh, as I prioritize those, are, those that are important to me, uh, people that are important to me going forward, this allows me to have more time with them, be more present, and uh, to share more life experiences outside of golf. I believe there's a, a lot of things about Live Golf that are transformative. Two specifically are a unique, different format from a, a, a format that's been the same for half a century or more. And I believe moving tournaments throughout the world um, and bringing bringing that type of championship golf uh, to different parts of the world uh, is going to have a very positive effect globally on the, on the sport. And uh, those are just two instances of areas I think Liv is going to do a lot of good for the game. Alex, every day is not about what did I grow the game. What it is is engaging people, bringing people out to uh, be exposed to the game. I saw a lot of young kids out there um, under the age of seven or eight, being exposed to professional golf. It was an important part of my life going forward to be driven to have golf in my life, play golf, and then ultimately play professionally. So I think the number of kids that were out there is just one area that could potentially grow the game uh, by having those young ones involved. But there's a lot more areas and, and ways that... Um, last week helped and um, I think it should be obvious.